Amen. Thank you, Dennis and Khalifa, for leading us this morning. Such a blessing to worship the Lord together. Amen. Is it not? So praise the Lord. Now, before we go to the Lord in prayer, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you all so much uh, for being such a blessing to us over these last few weeks and months. And so many cards and gifts have been sent our way for baby and for pastor appreciation month. And we have felt and really palatably felt how uh, much you appreciate us. And uh, we are just so blessed and so thankful uh, for all of you. And uh, we are delighted. And as well as, you know, the many meals that have been sent our way as well, you know, and that they've been such a help as we adjust to our uh, six pound, nine ounce Ezra um, that has come last Wednesday. So I know, uh, you know, you heard nine pounds, seven ounces last week, but it was six, nine. Um, and so uh, little, little guy. But uh, we are adjusting and we are just so helped by the mills and everyone's been so kind to give those. And so a big thank you to all of you for blessing us. And we have felt that and we love you guys. So um, thank you guys. And so want to kind of change uh, topics for a minute too before we go into prayer and just say that today is also the International Day a prayer for the persecuted church. And so I want to kind of set that before you and mention that so you will include praying for the persecuted church today in your prayers as well as as I go here in just a second to turn to pray. We're going to pray together for them as well. And so in light of that, let's do just that and let's let's go to the Lord in prayer, preparing our hearts for the sermon, for the word this morning as well as praying for our brothers and sisters all around the world. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we come this morning and we come realizing that we indeed have much to pray about. There's much going on all around us. And as we come to you in prayer, we come, yes, with hearts that are filled with just joy and gratefulness and I know my heart and our heart as a family uh, the record family that our hearts are welling up with great thanksgiving and praise to you Lord as uh, we've been blessed by so many here at Haven and their kindness and uh, care for us and uh, we've just been so blessed by them and we thank you for your showing your love through your church to us and even as we've been here we've seen that in the same way that our haven and, and the people here have shown love to one another as well and so we praise you for that father we praise you that you are great that you are god over everything that you are sovereign that you are in control and we are not just simply going about in a world of chaos but we are going about in your world and history is the history that you are unraveling and unfolding and you are over all of it. And so we look to you as the sovereign God this morning as we pray to you 
as we are each are living our lives or doing whatever we're doing, uh, working and school or you know, going to, uh, interacting with family or whatever it is that we do, you are sovereign over all of it. And so may we come and just bow our knees this morning, recognizing that you are in control and that you are God. And I pray and we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world as they are facing persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. And this is not an anomaly in history. In fact, Christian persecution is a normal thing in history and even in Scripture. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, if any of us here desire to live a godly life, then we at some point or another have encountered some degree of persecution. We realize, Father, that all across the world, many, many, many believers are facing that, perhaps even right now as we're praying, that they have uh, people overtaking their home as they are seeking to worship you, or um, they're in jail or prison as they are being uh, waiting a sentence for having followed Christ and following Christ. We pray for our brothers and our sisters in the Lord right now. May you uphold them. May you help them, Father. May you keep them. May you give them uh, your grace and sustain them and help them to continue to abound in the work of the Lord, to abound in proclaiming Jesus Christ. Even as very real pain and very real suffering surround them. We ask for your help and your hand upon them, Lord. And may the gospel continue to go out here and everywhere, Lord. And Father, you know well that we are facing election week this week also. And we just prayed and acknowledged that you are sovereign over everything and so, in the same this week also, you are God. We pray for grace this week. We pray for wisdom this week. Because I know some people probably are still thinking through who to vote for and what to do and all these things. Pray for your hand upon us as believers that you would help us to consider these things and think through them well in light of your word. And so help us, Father, in that. Help our country and may you lead it to Christ. That is the first and foremost desire of our hearts. We do not trust in uh, kings or princes or presidents or governors or governments. We trust in our God Amen. who is king. And so we look to you. And so we, we pray, Father, now as we turn to your word this morning, may you help us. May you be with us. May you help our hearts even right now to, to be readied and opened to your word. May you lead us and help us to humbly come under your word, we ask in Jesus' powerful name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, last week we had the joy of, of hearing from Pastor Matt, and he came and preached the word, and he called us to lives of worship from Psalm 100. And so... What a call that we continually need to hear to live lives of worship in all of life because 
we are living in God's world and it is his world and we are the ones who have departed from worshiping him and so this morning though we are returning to our study in the gospel of John and we're continuing here into the next chapter of this gospel so if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9 verses 1 through 12 and so we begin this chapter with really Jesus's words from chapter 8 if you remember a few weeks ago they're still ringing in our ears as we go right into chapter 9 which what were those words well truly truly I say to you before Abraham was I am so that is still right over all of this as we are going right then into chapter 9 so now here still within the vicinity of the feast of booze which began in chapter 7 we come to the words here in chapter 9 and so may the spirit of god illuminate and bring god's word to bear upon over and within our lives john 9 as he passed by he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing Amen. verse 8 and the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying is this not the man who used to sit and beg and some said it is he and others said no but he is like him and the man himself he kept saying I am the man and so they said to him then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, And the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Amen. Amen. So again and again here in this gospel, we have seen something that we began kind of being magnified in, in John chapter 2. And what was that that was kind of emphasized there in John chapter 2? Well, sign. So we have seen again and again, sign after sign. And some of these signs, they have been expressly said that this was a sign or so on but now we're getting to the point where it's just kind of 
all these signs are just kind of happening without being said they are signs. Well, signs, what were, what were the purpose of these signs? Well, the signs, they were testifying to the truth of who Jesus is. So here, then, we have another sign. And these signs, what they were, is they were stamps or even certificates of authenticity. And so Jesus, so they're saying that Jesus is the real deal. He is who he says he is. He is the Christ. His words are true. Believe it. See what he is doing. And all these signs are pointing you, directing you to him. All arrows at Jesus. And that's what they're intending to do. And so this sign here in chapter 9, it follows Jesus' words there in chapter 8, which I mentioned a moment ago as something of another stamp of authenticity. And so before Abraham was, I am, and now he goes and does this. And so all this then takes place where Jesus, he is now no longer in the temple. And, you know, there's some talk about this or what the meaning of that is. And, I mean, ultimately we can think about it. But uh, some have said that, you know, his leaving the temple was akin to perhaps the glory of God leaving the temple. They have these stones saying, get out of here. And now he's leaving, but we have no direct reason to say that in the text, but it's interesting to think about and to consider. But now he is no longer in the temple, and so somewhere along the way, after he has left, he encounters this man that we read of here, a man blind from birth. So this wasn't a man who had once been able to see, but this was a man who was born into this world blind. And that's and not just that it, it really did happen, but it's also magnifying his miracle as well. This would magnify the greatness of Christ and the greatness of the miracle that he does here. This was, for this man, it was an embedded kind of blindness. He was born with it. This is not something that a human hand could come and kind of reverse if someone could do that in that day. Well, they were not going to be able to fix this problem. Yet here, then, we have this story. And we have our Lord. And so the disciples, they see the man there, you know, walking by him on the ground begging and they see this man and so they ask Jesus a question. So they ask Jesus about him and so they say there in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So it is here with this, in these verses here, we see our first point here, and we see God's sovereign purposes. We see God's sovereign purposes. And so the disciples, 
question here, it sets forth kind of two options for why they believe that this man was born blind. So trying to understand why is he that way, and so here are the two options. Either one, he was born blind because of some sin of his own. Remember, he was born blind, so they're thinking here perhaps he had sinned in the womb or something like that. I know we don't even think about those kind of things, but they, they were thinking about that, and they were asking that question, well, perhaps that is why he was born blind, or two, he was born blind because his parents sinned. And that one we probably are a little bit more like aware of in respect to even what Scripture says and the father's sin being passed on down to the children, not saying like genetically even, but it's in even inferring something of a like its effect on the children. So maybe we're a little bit more aware of that one. And so during this time, what rabbis, rabbis would say, they would say something like this. They would say there is no death without sin and there's no suffering without iniquity and so that is hovering over their question here this this kind of thinking about well that person's sick that person's blind that person's suffering and so this would give credence to the disciples asking about this but we need to think about not only the teachings kind of surrounding this time um, but we see this as well, and you may have already thought of it, in like the Old Testament, right? We see it in a variety of different places. We see something of this in the book of Job. Right? So in the book of Job, the person, Job, if you haven't read the book, you don't know the book, this person, it's named after him, Job, he essentially loses everything. So he loses his children, he loses his wealth, and he loses his health. And yet, what he does in all of that, then he, all that happens, and he does what? He bows his knee and he worships. Like, incredible. So he does all that, and then his friends come along, and they do an amazing job at first. And so I don't know how many of us would do this even, but they stay with him for seven days, not saying a word. And they were doing good. But then they stopped not speaking and they started to speak and then that ruined everything. And so from then on for 35 chapters, Job's friends then go on to blame Job for what happened to him. And so he must have sinned in some way for all of these things to come upon him. And then here's Job then leaving him for the, that time period as well. He is defending himself chapter after chapter. Now we know we can even say that really this question is already almost answered with the book of Job, right? I mean, God is the one who was sovereignly behind all of these things. They're blaming it on Job, and God is saying, no, 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 that's not why these things happened. And so we already kind of have that answer already coming to this question. But we see that kind of issue there in the book of Job as well. And this is the issue that this man must have been born blind because of some specific, identifiable 
sin. So Jesus, though, he then comes and he answers them, but he doesn't answer that way, right? He says no to both options. So our sickness, this is important for me to say, if you remember back a few, I guess it was probably a few months ago now, but in John chapter 5, we saw there that our sickness or our ailment may be due to sin. John 5, 14. Go and sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. This invalid, invalid for 38 years. So something like related to his sickness, why he was sick was had to do with sin. And so we, we saw that, so I won't go over all that today. But you can go back and listen to that in John chapter 5. Yet, um, we aren't here, we aren't to be going around accusing people of sin because of them being sick, or them being disabled, or being diseased, or whatever it be. Now, generally, it's true. All sickness, all disease, and death are because of sin. So that's true. Romans 5, you know, look at that. After, from Adam, then everyone dies, but each specific sin is not directly attributable to some particular sin. I mean, it, it could be John 5 and even James chapter 5, but we need to think about here if we're going to take their logic and put it over to our lives and just feel how overwhelming that would be and just think about that what that would look like in your day-to-day -day life if we were going to say that every time you get sick or anything like that happens it was because of some specific identifiable sin you committed so you get a cold what sin did you commit you know you get covid well how did you sin you know that's why this happened to you uh, you were born with a disability. Well, it was because of sin. Well, whose sin was it? And then we get back to their question. Or perhaps, you know, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, maybe a week from now, maybe a month from now, maybe years from now, you die, and then someone says, well, what sin did they commit? And so that, that's kind of the, the dangerous logic going on here. You see how it's kind of, it's dangerous here? And so instead of all that, Jesus, what he does is he points to God's plan for this one man. So imagine the scene here. So person after person, they are walking by this man as he is sitting there. And perhaps, you know, they're doing this day after day. And each of these people walking by them, they have, you know, their families they have their own things going on. They have their lives. And they're doing, you know, what they do, you know, going to this and that and, you know, eating their meals and so on. Yet it is this man here that would stand out. Not the high and not the mighty. Not the rich. Not the ones with great acclaim. It would be this man, the man sitting there in the dirt. And for what purpose? Verse 3. 
It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So this one man, he was set aside to display God's works and God's wonders. Amen. This man, he would be set aside for this exclamation, see the glory of God on display. Now, you hear that, and I think for me personally, Lord, may that be, may my life just be that, see the glory of God on display. But I know perhaps you're hearing this online or whatever, and you're huffing at this. I mean, how could God do such a thing? What right does he have? You know, and I think we ask this question because we have a number of things kind of jumbled up in our heads. So what are the things? Well, first, I think we ask this because we very honestly just don't know what God knows. God, wow, his knowledge, his understanding is infinite. He knows every angle, every direction, every single thing about every single scenario. He counts the, the hairs on your head. He knows them all and he knows the, the stars in the heavens and he names them and, and all of these things. And yet we're, we come to this and, and so we, we have this question before us and we need to realize that one, that we do not know what God knows. And that should just make us step back for a second and say, wait a minute. Who am I, you know? So that's one kind of point we need to see. But more practically, second, I think we struggle with things like this is because we have so elevated ourselves. We have so made mankind the priority the centrality of our autonomy we say that I am and there is no other such that when God says anything over his creation we're like wait a minute I'm not okay with that that's not the way I would have done it and think about what you're doing there Back to Genesis 3. You want to be like God, don't you? You're not just trying to be like God. You're trying to be God and saying, God, I don't think you were doing what's right there. I would have done it this way. Well, you are not God. And so we struggle with this because of our so much autonomy in us, self-sufficiency in us. That when we see God be God, we buck against that. And we say, I don't like that. And, and we, we not just do that, but we buck against joy. So this man, he would be lifted up to display God and to point us to God. And that's where joy is found, is in God. So this is, 
a great and good thing here. And so this is not mean. This is mercy. So he is, he is directing us then away from the lies of human independence from God. He's leading us away from our self-sufficiencies and our self-dependencies towards the very one for whom we were made. Before Abraham was, I am. You want to look for joy? There is where you'll find it. So the lifting up of someone to display the works of God is pointing you to the greatest joy of all. So we need God. So Romans 9, here in you know, Paul, he's wrestling with a number of things here and talking about was God unjust and you know, choosing some and not others. And he says there in 9.16, So then it depends, not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. The scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Amen. The point in pointing to that passage and seeing this in the scope of this passage, our passage, John, is to see that God is sovereign and he is sovereign over history. He is sovereign over time and he is sovereign over all things, and he is working out all things according to his good pleasure and unto his great glory. Whatever is going on in your life, to his glory. So let me give two warnings here, though, for us as we kind of see this, this question that the disciples ask here. And the first is be careful what you conclude about people. Be careful of what you conclude about people. So remember who people are. This one man, and God's care for him, it is not odd. God is a gracious and he is a good God. And God, he is not limited to this one man. God, he made everyone in his image. They are loved by him. They were made by him and they were made for him. So to look at someone and say that they are less because of race, because of gender, because of intelligence, because of socioeconomic reasons or whatever runs counter to God's deep, deep love for his world. Amen. And right now, our country is drawing line after line in the sand, is it not? People are saying, you stand here, you stand there. Even while they're saying that, you know, you're wrong and you're wrong, they're saying I'm right and you're out of this picture as well because you're not like me. They're saying you're black, you're white, you're Asian, you're Native American, you're Hispanic or whatever, and they're drawing line after line saying, I stand here, I stand there, I stand this place. Or perhaps they're saying, 
You know, you're a Democrat, you're a Republican, here's my line, here's your line, you stay right there. And so we're seeing lines everywhere right now. And this will not, and let me just say, this will not do for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen. Here is our line. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's our line. Amen. So be careful about what you conclude about people. Second, be careful that you aren't going beyond the word. Be careful that you aren't going beyond the word. So be careful that you aren't making yourself the arbiter of what sin or what is sin and what isn't sin. So let me just say then here that sin, it is not, and this is, I've seen this, you've probably experienced this yourself when someone is doing this to you, but sin is not breaking your rules. Sin is not going against your traditions. Sin is not disagreeing with you. Your opinion, it is not Bible. And I know that may be shocking perhaps. You know, maybe you've thought that, you know, someone is thinking that and you're like, well, maybe a minute, it's not Bible. You know, like my opinion is not like scripture, like uh, record, uh, first record, you know, chapter one, verse two says, my opinion is scripture. No, you know, it, it is not Bible. Your word is not scripture. Our standard is not us. But isn't that just what we do? And that's where we're drawing these lines as well. And so we avoid people or shun those who violate our standards while what is going on all around us? Sinners are perishing. The lost, they go deeper down into their pit. The world is left without hope and without God in the world. But our standard won the day. Amen. Is that, is that what we want? Our standard, we want, we want the gospel Amen. to go out. We want the word of God to be lifted as high as we can lift it. That everyone would see and see the works of God on display and give glory to him. Amen. Not that it's wrong to have opinions and all these things like that. We certainly have those. <laughs> Not lacking in that department. But we need to ask, what are we putting primary? Are we just being a bunch of Genesis 3 people? I'm God and there is no other. So we need to be careful. So well, God's plans here, as we see, they include this one man. And so here we see God's plans for a beggar. God's plans for a beggar. And so verse 8 it makes this plain that he was indeed a beggar. 
And this is the way he made his living. So he would go about, he would go about asking for help. And here we see our problem. Our problem is thinking that we are not the beggar in this story. Now, let me warn you, if you're not the beggar, then who are you? If you're not the beggar, then you are the blind man who goes on never being healed. You're the person doubly dead. You're that person who will die and they will die forever. So friend, you may be the smartest person here. You may be the wealthiest or most esteemed person here. Or perhaps maybe you're even the lowliest person among us. Well, I say that because we, a pr pride can be found among both. Well, I'm not like them. Lines in the sand again. You know, I'm not like that beggar. Or I'm not like those rich people. But realize that you are a beggar. Before Christ, you were the blind man. And if you don't know Christ, right now, you are the blind man. You are the one in the dirt. And God's plans are for this beggar. And Jesus, he came for the ones that are in the dirt. And so we see God's plans for you. He came for one, and he came for all. And although I, I don't know what specifically God has planned for you, you know, whether you're sick or you're well or you really literally are physically blind or something else, I can tell you that he has a plan. And his plan, and this is true, is that you would display him. So are you going about, everyone, are you going about in such a way that God's works may be displayed? Where people come away saying, looking at you, and maybe you're in the grave now even, they look over your tombstone, and the only explanation they have for that is God. In that person's life, that was, that was only God who did that. And this is what the church is to be as well. Now when people look at the church, they would say the only explanation for that is God. So it is that we see the next point here as well, that God's works through us, or God's works through us. So Jesus, he doesn't end there with verse 3. He goes on to say there in verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So there's a word here, and you may have noticed it, that seems out of place. Did you see it? The word we. Verse 4. So the question is, who is this we? Well, I'll just clarify. If it was in your mind, it isn't referring to the Trinity. Now, if you're thinking that, it wouldn't really make much sense that way either. You know, Jesus, he is, you try it on your own, plug in the Trinity there and see how it doesn't make sense. Um, but Jesus here, he is talking about himself, and he's talking about the disciples. 
So the disciples and him, they will be the, the disciples will be joining Jesus in doing the works of the Father. And that is exactly what we see, isn't it? They go out with the Great Commission. They are given the Great Commission and they go out heralding Christ and walking in spirit-empowered works to the glory of God. And Paul, he writes in Ephesians 2.10, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, we must work. We must work in the we. It doesn't end with the disciples here. It continues on through us. Here, we have a rebuke for our day. Can we just be honest for a moment here as well? You know, I think, I think some people, they became Christians, and week after week, what they're doing is they are living out their Christian life in the break room. So now, I have worked at a number of places over, you know, the years, probably more jobs than you, you'd be surprised how many jobs I've had for a number of reasons. Some I was unfortunately fired from, others, you know, I just left and so on, but I've had a number of jobs over the years. And along the way, I've never come across an employer who said, you know what, I will pay you if you do absolutely nothing. Just go in the break room, sit down, you're going to get paid. You know, I've, I've, I've never, you know, encountered an employer like that, you know, that, that said, well, you know, you just watch while everyone else does, does the work. I mean, maybe you're different. If you've encountered someone like that, wow. I don't know how you came across that. But I have never met someone or had an employer like that that said, that's your job, stay in the break room, do nothing, you're going to get paid. Yet... For some reason, this is what many have concluded about their Christian faith. They've resigned themselves to be do-nothing Christians. These may be those who are members of a church, but it extends even further than local church. It goes, like if you're thinking, well, the only way I can do something is if I'm doing it in the church, like actively involved in local church stuff. Well, it doesn't just extend to that. It includes that, but it goes farther. It goes into our homes. It goes into our neighborhoods. It goes into our workplaces. And it goes into our lives. And the question is, is, is that all you are? You're, you're in the break room. You do nothings. Do nothing Christians. Is that what God has called us to do? I'll answer you. you know, no, he has, he has called us to take up ministry. Every single one of us who know Christ. Amen. And you may not be a pastor, but if you know Christ, you are called to the ministry. 
Everyone. I'm not talking about being a missionary. I'm not talking about an evangelist. I'm not talking about being a pastor or anything like that. I'm talking about you are called to ministry. And this, we here, means that you are part of that we here as well. And so our work then is to go out and to magnify his work, which is what we see next. We see the work of Christ, the work of Christ. So the night that is coming that Jesus is talking about here is his death. No one will work then. They will only kind of look on and witness the work of the Father in the work of Christ. And darkness will very literally fill the land, even as Luke, it says, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So darkness will fill the land. And Jesus he says, I am the light of the world, and he is the light of the world, and he was the light of the world then, and he is the light of the world now also. Amen. So seeing all this, then we say that, church, there is work to be done. There is work to be done. This wondrous work of Christ is a work that bears ultimate implications over and above anything else in your life. No matter what your job is, no matter who you are, whether you're a believer and you're, you know, six years old, if you're a believer, you're 19, you're a believer, you're 30, 40, 50, 60, whoever you are, whatever your job is, whatever your age, whatever your gender, it bears ultimate implications over all of that and above any of that. And so it compels us to, and it calls us to work, to herald Christ, and to be the aroma of Christ to a lost world. Every one of us. Amen. And there is no retirement from this work. Now, I remember once talking to some members of a church, you know, not here, it's somewhere else, and they said, you know, well, we've, we've done our time, you know. We, we've retired from serving, you know. We're, we're done with any of that. You know, we, we're leaving it to the, the younger generations. Well, that isn't found here. You won't find a passage in Scripture that teaches that, right? Nor is there any area where we aren't called to take up our work and there is a time for it to be done there's a time for it to be done so one day all things will be done the consummation it will come but friends that day hasn't come yet Christ he has come he has died and he is calling us to take up the work and so our time to do it is now 
You need not wait for someone to come along and tell you, all right, get up, it's time, cease watching and put your hand to the plow, get out of that break room. You don't need to wait for someone to come and do that. The time for work is now and it will be until Christ returns or you pass on to be with him forever. So don't waste what time you have by not fulfilling in your calling to ministry. So there is work for you to do and it is for you to do it now. So how happy we are that Jesus sought out us to actually do the work of the Father. He put his hand to the plow, Jesus did. And this is just what we see him do here too, isn't it? He takes up the work of the Father. And what does he do for this, this blind man? He heals him. He heals this man's impossible condition. The man, he was born blind, but yet he is blind no more. He is proving before Abraham was, I am. He is proving, I am the light of the world. And so our next point is that we need to see what Christ can do. See what Christ can do. So see what, see what Jesus does with this blind man's blindness. And so also see what he can do with those who are spiritually blind and lost around you. He could do the same thing. The work that you have to do, it doesn't go on. It doesn't move forward. It doesn't progress apart from Christ and apart from declaring the work of Christ. Now here, though, you may, you may be thinking, you know, as you read this, as we read it at the beginning, you know, what a strange, what a strange way to heal someone, you know? Why don't you just do like the Marvel people do in Marvel movies and just kind of like, and then they're healed, you know? Well, he didn't do that here, though. And so it is kind of strange, and it may well be that for us, but we need to see that this is his healing, and so it's his means. His healing, his means. Now, there are a number of themes kind of at work here as we look at this. One is that this kind of theme that as God he had fashioned man out of ground and out of the ground in Genesis 2 out of the dust of the ground and so Jesus he kind of takes up mud and he he brings healing to this man as the creator of man as the creator of dirt and as the creator of all things so that's kind of one kind of theme that we kind of see here that perhaps one explanation of this yet another is that this healing, it takes place on the Sabbath day as well. We see that in verse 14. We haven't got there yet. But you can look down and see it. And so Jesus, he was, he was doubly showing here his lordship over the Sabbath day by making mud and applying it as he did, which would have been considered work. And you know who's going to be upset about that? And he heals this man then by his means. 
And in all that, he's directing everyone to see who he is. Amen. But ultimately, though, here, whether you go with that explanation or the other one, we see here that it is Jesus who is healing, and it is his means to bring about the healing. He is the one who heals. And so we are to submit to him even as the man does here. And this man, he, he wouldn't be abstractly healed like, you know, you'll be healed, you know, just it won't be like physically healed. You know, you're just going to be kind of healed. And we see uh, that here, even as we see the people's response, that this is totally verified, that he wasn't just like uh, some accidentally healed or abstractly healed, but we see that they're like, well, uh, this, this is the man who was blind, but now he really does see. And so this man was really and truly healed. And all this to show that the same Jesus who can heal this man's blindness physically can heal the greater element of our broken condition and our spiritual blindness and separation from God. Amen. And so, if you're blind, he can heal you too. And this is the broad theme and point here. See what he does. See how he heals the blind man. See how he can heal any who are blind if they would simply come to the light of the world, that they may never be blind again. So I plead with you this morning. If that is you, stop excusing yourself and stop making excuses. Stop going about acting as though you see when your eyes have never seen before. The blind person doesn't see and the blind person does see and you'll know the difference. Instead, go to Jesus, the man who heals the blind, any and all, and trust him, believe him, repent, take up the cross, be crucified with Christ, call out to him, look to him, and you will be saved. Amen. And so that is your response this morning if you are here and you are blind in church. The ones who see by the grace of God, see what Christ can do and see what Jesus does. Remember what he has done in you. And let this set you aflame for him, adoring him, loving him, and telling of him to a lost and blind world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just ask, help us respond to your word. If there's those who don't know Christ, they've heard the calling, repent and believe the gospel. May you work right now in them and help them to do just that. And pray that you would help us as your church, that as believers, that you'd help us to Take up all this, Lord. There is work to be done. Help us, Lord, to be different. Help us to be many lights in the world for your glory. So help us respond as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen.